What do you expect? Everyone has expectations for just about everything uh, that they do. Um, pretty much every situation that you and I find ourselves in, there's kind of expectations inside of us about what it will look like. We have expectations about how a conversation will go, about holidays. We have expectations about our children, about what our lives will look like, about how long we're going to live, about how our friends will respond, about who God is and what he should do. Uh, But who knows that your expectations don't always align with reality. Uh, Sometimes you overshoot, you think that something's going to be better than what it is, and other times you actually undershoot and things are actually better than what you thought they were going to be. Um, This is the reality about uh, expectations. And one of the really helpful things, I think, in Scripture is that God regularly works to adjust our expectations to where they should be. And uh, that's actually where we're up to in the, uh, in the part of John that we're working through. For those who don't know, we're working through the Gospel of John. And uh, what Jesus does in the passage today is he adjusts our expectations about a few different areas, and they're really good adjustments. And this is a very hope-filled message. So if you're sitting here today and you're thinking, there's all these people have gone on holidays and I haven't and I'm not, this is for you today. Right? This is for you today and it's for everyone else who needs their tires pumped up a bit. So if you've got your, um, your Bibles there, I'd love for you to open to John chapter 14. We're going to pick up partway through this conversation Jesus is having with the disciples. John 14, starting at verse 8. It's by way of reminder, if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles, hard copy Bibles. You remember those? Um, over on the uh, table on the way in, over there. And if you don't have a Bible, just take it home with you and keep it. And Jesus won't get you in trouble because it's our donation to you. Uh, John chapter 14, verse 8. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. So we're going to look at three different areas that Jesus adjusts our expectations. Here's the first one. Expect the Father to be the same as Jesus. The second one is expect to do greater things. And the third one is expect to hear yes. Does that sound good? That's where we're going today. Let's kick in. Expect the Father to be the same as Jesus. I talked about this on a little bit last week and we all kind of agreed, those who were here last week, that it can be hard to get your head around the Father. You can get your head around Jesus. You've got these stories about him. He has emotions. He kicked the dust like we did. Um, you, you can get your head around Jesus. But when it comes to the Father, he's just a little bit further off, it seems. And you can see in this part of John, John's, gospels that the, sorry, John's gospel that the disciples are having trouble getting their head around the Father as well. They're stuck on physical locations and what they can see. Um, and if you remember, like a couple of verses before this, uh, Jesus just said, uh, talked about the Father's house 
And at the end, he says to the disciples, you know the way how to get there. He's talking about you get there through himself. Thomas says, we don't even know where we're going. So how would we know the way? Thomas is thinking about physical things, physical locations. Uh, And then what you find in the passage that we looked at today, uh, Philip gets on board with Thomas, basically, and the physicality of it. Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Now, last week I talked about how Jesus gives a very definitive answer to, um, to Philip's question. And I didn't deal directly with it last week because what I wanted you to see last week was all of the places in John's gospel where John and Jesus talk about the Father and what he's like to try and get your head around it. Um, and that, that seemed to be helpful. But today I actually want to look at the answer that Jesus gives to Philip's question. Uh, and, and he kind of squares Philip up a bit. That's really what he does. Um, and the reason why he squares Philip up is, is because Jesus has been talking about this stuff quite a lot. If you, if you read through the first 14 chapters of John again, and I'd encourage you to do it, you will see him talking about the Father a lot. Um, and, and he's teaching the disciples about it. And so Philip's question is, it's like a bit of a doofus question a little bit, if you know what I mean. It's like, dude, like, have you not been listening? Um, but classic Jesus, he'll straighten you up a little bit and then he'll help you a little bit more, which is, which is what he does here. Here's how Jesus responds. I just read it before. Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Now, what Jesus is saying here is that he and the Father are in perfect alignment. If you think about uh, the Christian understanding of the Trinity, the biblical understanding of the Trinity is that there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three separate persons, but all one. And so what Jesus is saying here is that he and the Father are in perfect alignment, but, but he even goes further than that because the, the language of perfect alignment makes it sound like a bit like choreography where they're just kind of together in stuff and they move in the same direction. But Jesus actually goes on and he says, oh, it's actually a lot closer than that. It's much closer than just choreography. Here's, here's what he says. We just read it before. I'm in the Father. The Father's in me. Uh, rather, it is the Father living in me who's doing his work. You see this stuff here? Now, the word that theologians use to describe this is actually a word that I used when I was a design and tech teacher, strangely enough, and it's the word interpenetration. All right? Interpenetration. Uh, that's, that's what the, uh, the theologians use um, to describe it. And, and it's hard to get your head around, but the big idea behind interpenetration is two objects that actually intersect and change the shape of each other. That's, that's basically the design and tech way of understanding interpenetration. And you may not know it, but whenever you go into a shopping centre, there is interpenetration in air conditioning ducts and all sorts of things happening around the place. You just don't even pay attention to it. Maybe you didn't even know the name. Is anyone who knew the name interpenetration? Wow. Okay. This is a real education this morning. So let me. Let, I used to teach students in senior graphics about solids that interpenetrated one another, because you actually need to work out what pattern you need to cut out to be able to fold it up to make those two solids go together. Does that make sense? And here's this is like old school Sondergeld. At this point, this, this is two cylinders that interpenetrate one another. 
right? Two cylinders that actually interpenetrate one another. Both of them change the shape of the other. They've kind of interpenetrated and they've become one. But I want to suggest to you that even this is not as neat as the oneness between the Father and the Son. It's even more significant uh, than what you can see in this drawing. Um, Because you can look at that and you can go, oh, that's two cylinders. And it's like, you go and read the stuff in John chapter 14, you just go, it's not two cylinders at that point. It's like, where does one end and where does the other one start? One's in the other one, the other one's in the other one. And it's like, man, I don't even, it's making my head spin. Well, that's reflective of the Trinity, right? Three persons with one God, the same but different, isn't it? And it's kind of, that's what marriage is. Two become one flesh. They're, they're two distinct, but they're not at the same time. Um, and that's the sense that you get here. And, and so you see all these statements in this passage, um, which I'll put in, in orange there, uh, which kind of indicate that, all right? Anyone who's seen me, seen the Father, I'm in the Father and the Father's in me. The Father living in me who is doing his work, I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. Like it's a head spinner. Is anyone's head spinning just a little bit now? It just is. Like how does that work? Um, it is a challenge, you know. And perhaps there's some of you who just go, I'm, I'm out, right? You know, and you, probably, you want to walk up to the dispatch box uh, like in question time in federal parliament, just say, uh, I want a point of order here on relevance, please. What, what on earth would be the relevance of all of this? Well, I want to say to you, there's all sorts of relevance to this, to your life. This is the direct answer that Jesus gives to your struggle and my struggle to get our heads around the Father. That's his answer to it. Uh, why? Because if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. That's why. So what I want to do is I want to do the same thing that I did last week. So last week I went through about 15 things that Jesus and John say about the Father in John's Gospel. Today I want to go through a whole bunch of things about who Jesus is in John's Gospel so that you would be clear about who the Father is. Because he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father all right so i'm just going to help you to see jesus in john's gospel so that you will see the the father you ready there's heaps of them here we go jesus has always existed john 1 verse 2 he was with god in the beginning jesus is the light for all of humanity john 1 verse 4 in him was life and that life was the light of all mankind Jesus dwelt among us. John 1 verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. That's the next one too. Jesus is full of grace and truth. John 1 verse 29, Jesus takes away the sins of the world. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There's a lot of people in our world who'd love this next one. Jesus gave a wedding party more wine. John 2 verse 9, the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside, dot, dot, dot. We get to John chapter 3 and Jesus patiently teaches a religious leader. 
Nicodemus. There was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council, and Jesus has this long conversation with him. We get to John chapter 4, and we find out that Jesus uh, talks with messy people. John chapter 4, verse 7, the Samaritan woman who'd been five times divorced. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? And then the Samaritan woman invites Jesus into the town and Jesus hangs around so that more people can get saved. John chapter 4, verse 40. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed two days. We get to John chapter 4, verse 49 and 50 and then John chapter 5 and we find out that Jesus healed sick people we get to john chapter 5 verse 17 where jesus said my father is always at work and i'm always at work we get to john chapter 6 verse 5 and there's five thousand men plus women and children who are hungry and we find out at the feeding of the five thousand that jesus cares about feeding people who don't have food have a look at all those Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. The Father is in every single one of those things. Going to go on. After scaring the disciples when walking on water, Jesus tells them not to be afraid. John chapter 6 verse 20, it is I do not be afraid. Could you hear the Father saying that to you? Jesus is the bread of life and the living water. John chapter 6, verse 35. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. That's the Father too. John chapter 6, verse 39. Jesus doesn't lose anyone given to him and this is the will of him who sent me that I shall lose none of all those he has given me but raise them up at the last day. John 6, verse 39. It says that the Father won't let them go either. That overlap. Then you've got in John chapter 9, the man who's uh, born blind, uh, who Jesus heals, and then him and his parents get in this big stink with the religious authorities. And what does Jesus do? Well, he seeks him out and he follows him up with some pastoral care, right? Uh, And it's pretty amazing pastoral care. Jesus heard that they had thrown the man out of the synagogue. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? The guy gets saved. Why did he get saved? Because Jesus went and found him and locked it all in. See, the Father is in that. What about this one? Jesus is the good shepherd. He lays down his life for the sheep. John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Can you imagine the Father being a shepherd? He is. Totally is. Jesus knows his sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. John 10, verse 14. Do you think that the Father knows you like that? Of course he does john chapter 11 we've got the story of the death of lazarus and jesus kind of showing up he provides some pastoral care to martha he comes out to meet him then he provides pastoral care to to mary and then he goes and he raises lazarus from the dead what about this one jesus rides into jerusalem on a donkey donkey's cold john 12 verse 15 And we'll finish here. Um, Jesus washed the disciples' feet. John 13, verse 5. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. 
Have you ever imagined the Father doing that? Because he was in him. And they're in it together. What if I said to you, uh, the Father wrapped a towel around himself and got down and started washing your feet? Have you ever thought about that one? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. You get it? Expect the Father to be the same as Jesus. That's what he's saying. Number two, expect to do greater things. Uh, this is the second expectation Jesus is wanting to shape, and it's the expectation that um, we'll do greater things than Jesus has done. And this is a classic example of an expectation that is overshot and undershot in Christianity, in the Christian world. Um, and, and the thing about this one, and this is a this is really hot button kind of text, is this is a text where those who overshoot and undershoot argue with each other about it. And there's a fair bit of conflict in the church about it. Um, some people say uh, the greater things that John's talking about, uh, that we should do all the miraculous Jesus, miraculous works that Jesus did uh, all of the time and more. And then others react to it and they say, no, no, it's not really talking about that, it's talking about people coming to faith so what I want to do today lest you decide that you're going to fight against me is help you to see what the text says I think Uh, and you can argue against a text you can argue for a different interpretation but here's my challenge to you you can't just pick one because you like it better all right it has to be a better argument it has to be a better interpretation so I'm open to that but uh, let's go this is the best one this is the fairest one in the context of it so I'll just take you through a bit by bit here's the verse, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. It's even, I haven't got this in my notes, but it's even a bit sad that I have to be, throw all these caveats in at the start, isn't it? Don't you think that's a bit sad? Because this is a blindingly positive verse. It's like, you should read that and go, Really? Really? That's what we're going to be doing? Anyway, let me take you through it. First thing you need to clarify here, the first category that comes up that you need to kind of define is the word works. Now, people typically want to understand the word works there as being miracles. And I think it includes miracles, but I don't think it's restricted to miracles. All right? If you go home today and you do a word search through the Gospel of John about how Jesus uses the word works, you'll find that it's got a much broader usage than just miracles, okay? Uh, It actually includes everything that Jesus does, um, which is why I think Jesus says what he says in verse 11, believe me when I say that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Well, what works would those be? Well, everything that he did was being in the Father, Everything that he did revealed who the Father actually was. Everything points to him. Now, there are things that Jesus does that are called signs, and we looked at these in the early part of the gospel, but Jesus doesn't call them signs here. He just talks about the works that he's been doing, which I think is everything that he's been doing is the works of the Father, the works that point to the Father. And that's why I think if you have a look up here, 
the next time that Jesus, the first time Jesus refers to it, he uses the term works. Does anyone, can you notice what the, the term, the word is that's used to describe it when he refers to it again? It's things, right? He's not saying signs, he's saying works, he's saying things, he's saying everything that he's done. Are you with me? Just, yeah? Okay. Well, I'm glad I'm optimistic. <laughs> so the works include miracles, but it's not restricted to miracles. And I don't even think it's mainly talking about miracles. It's talking about everything that Jesus has actually done. The next thing that you actually need to work out in this verse, once you work out what greater, what works is, you've got to work out what greater means, right? Now, one option of thinking about what a greater work is, right, is you could say, is it greater by nature, right? Um, Jesus did some amazing things and we're going to do even more amazing things. Is it that? Well, I can't think of what would be more amazing than raising a dead guy who's been in the grave for four days, right? And and I actually think that feeding 5,000 men plus women and children with five loaves and two fish is pretty amazing too, right? So I don't, I don't think that what Jesus is talking about is there's going to be some more spectacular deed that's going to happen, right? I think Jesus has hit the top. You know, if you remember the old, you know, the old uh, sideshow alley kind of thing where you get the big mallet, the big hammer, and you hit the thing, and you go up, it goes up until it hits the bell, you know, and it measures how it, Jesus has hit the bell. There's nothing higher than the things that Jesus has done. So I don't, I don't think that Jesus is talking about uh, the works being greater by nature. Well, what could he be talking about? Could he be talking about greater by volume, right? That there's simply more of them. Now, I think this is certainly the case, that they're greater by volume, all right? There's been more works that, that have been done by Jesus' followers than Jesus ever did in three years in ministry. I think this is actually the case. But before you settle on that one, you just need to read a little bit more uh, in the verse because I think the verse gives you the indication about why things are greater. You ready? It's right at the end there. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing and they will do even greater things than these. The next statement tells you the condition that makes them greater. Now, what's the condition? He's going away. He's going to the Father. Now, this is not talking about Jesus dying on the cross. This is talking about Jesus going, his ascension. Jesus leaving the earth in his physical form. Now, how would that produce greater works that's your question right and we i'm sure that we would have a uh, a lovely conversation about it if we just broke and got into some uh, workshopping groups and had a bit of a think about it but that that's your key right that's your key do you know why the works are going to be greater i think i think there's there's uh there's one part of this that I think is quite clear is that the work of Jesus at that point, when he ascends back to heaven, there's a, there's a work, of, there's a sense that the work of Jesus is completed. It's finished. His death and resurrection have happened. He will have ascended. 
in a sense, the work of the gospel in terms of Jesus dying on the cross for sins and being raised from the dead and making a new way will have been completed. And everyone in that space is going to be operating in a new era. Um, and, and the thing that I think is significant about this new era is that new era is going to be characterized by the coming of the Spirit. That's, that's how it's going to be characterized. And so you've got this, um, this bit that Jesus says later on in this discourse uh, that indicates that, and it's John 16, verse 7. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, there was a, a doctor that wrote a couple of books in the Bible and he hung out with Paul and his name was Luke and he wrote the Gospel of Luke and he wrote the Book of Acts. The Book of Acts is about the early church. The, the Book of Luke or the Gospel of Luke is about the life and the works of Jesus, right? Luke is very clear, and I don't have time to go into it because we've actually preached a bunch on the Book of Acts. Luke is really clear that the Book of Luke is about the life and the work of Jesus when he was on the earth. The book of Acts is about the, the work of Jesus after he's ascended back into heaven. So if you go and read Acts chapter 1, the first thing that Luke actually tells you about is he tells you about Jesus going back to heaven, ascending into heaven, and then the Holy Spirit coming. And the implication is very clear that what's actually going on in the early church after that point is the continued work of Jesus by the Holy Spirit through his disciples. Are you still with me? That's what it is. Okay. Um, and here's the thing. There are some amazing miracles in the book of Acts. Right? Um, they're, they're incredible. But I'll tell you something that's more prominent than miracles in the book of Acts is people coming to faith. The world being up, turned upside down, isn't it? I mean, you, you know the, the story of uh, 3,000 people getting saved in one day. And, and then there's persecution. And then the gospel spreads further. And more people come to faith. And, and miracles happen, but they don't happen kind of as profoundly, in my view, um, as what you see them happening in the life of Jesus. And that brings me to a really specific point here. And this is something I think that you've got to realize is that the miracles in the life of Jesus had a very clear and specific purpose. They pointed to who he was. And so I think that what we can expect in our day is that we will see miracles, but not as profusely as you see around the person of Christ because there was a different purpose to the miracles then. I don't think everyone will be physically healed in this life. I don't have any question that it is God's heart to bring full and complete physical healing to people, but I don't think everyone's going to be physically healed in this life. Some will be and some won't be. Everyone who loves him gets healed in the end. Everyone who loves him gets completely restored in the end. All right. It's a bit heavy today. Um, I hope you tracking with me here's here's a summary for you just to help greater works is about i think at some level the volume that's being done the era and the context in which they are being done and where i want to finish 
this point is uh, how they are being done. All right. Now, you have seen this one at work lots of times. Okay. Um, and, and this one is connected to capability or ability. So I'm sure that you've seen this kind of thing happen on TV. Uh, the news report comes up. There was a marathon somewhere, a 42-kilometre marathon, and all these people ran it, and the people that are built like spiders won it at the start, right? And they just kind of run in, and, and some people cheer. And then like an hour later, there's this person who's got a disability that, that runs the 42Ks and runs over the line, and the cheer for that person seems to be at least as loud, if not louder, than the person who won it. Why? Because it's a greater work. <laughs> That's why. The person who was able-bodied was able to cream it over the line. They got in there first, but the person with the disability, or oh, everyone stands back and they applaud, and they go, that is spectacular isn't it? They've done a greater thing commensurate to their ability. It's the same deed, but it's greater because of the person who's doing it. Does that make sense? Now, I think you can see it all over the place. You can see it in theatre. I mean, you go to a, um, a school production, Right? And there's some kid there who's like 13 who gives the most amazing performance. And if you sat there and you said, I can think of like a 25-year-old who can do better than that. If you said that, someone's probably going to slap you. All right? Why are they going to slap you? Because what you've just seen is a greater work because it's done by a 13-year-old, not a 25-year-old. Do, do you get what I'm saying? Tell me the story of the early church. Jesus goes back to be with the Father in his ascension and he leaves a bunch of ragtag disciples in charge, in a sense, in charge. Um, a bunch of people that struggled to hold it together, <laughs> right? Um, then 3,000 people get saved in one day. It's like, what the? How did that happen? Well, that's a greater work. You know, you might go, well, where in Jesus' life did 3,000 people get saved? And it's like, well, I don't know. He had some pretty big crowds around him at times. So maybe you could argue the thing about volume, but I'm not arguing the thing about volume. I'm, I'm kind of going, how the heck did that happen? How did it happen that those people got to do that? And that sick people got healed and that people persevered in the midst of persecution. Do you get the point? See... This is the work of the Spirit. This is the work of the Spirit. This is what he is up to. And, that, and these, these are the greater works. Right? So let me finish back where we started this point. Now that I've cleared all the debris out of the way, hopefully, in your thinking, you've got to just soak this up. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing and they will do even greater things than these. You. He's talking about you. 
That's what he's talking about. So what should you do? Just get amongst it. There's your expectation. Greater works. That's your expectations. You get up tomorrow morning and you go, oh, okay, well, what's this day going to be like? It's like greater works. That's what it's going to be like. That's what he promised. He said, you get your head in the right space for expecting greater works. Be filled with the Spirit and do the works of Jesus. Don't be afraid of heart. Get out there and do some greater works. <laughs> All right? Amen? Get out there and do them. Which leads naturally, I think, to the last point. I think this is why Jesus actually talks about it. Um, so, so what we looked at so far, expect the Father to be the same as the Son. Expect to do greater things. And here's the third one, expect to hear yes. All right? Expect to hear yes. Now, Jesus is going to talk about prayer, right? And, and this, this one's a bit interesting, because I think there's a lot of us probably who expect to hear. No. <laughs> right? But that is, that's not what Jesus is saying here. He's saying expect to hear yes. Here's, here's what he says. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Now, this saying actually pops up quite a bit in the Gospels, and it's pretty inspiring, right? Ask anything in my name, and I'm going to do it for you. Um, now, on the surface of it, it looks like, oh, right. Oh, the human thing is, oh, okay, so you've just given me the key to get the things that I'd like to have or the, see the things happen that I'd like to see happen. It's like, oh, the power of being able to pray and get what you pray for guaranteed. You know, give me an amen for that. That would be cool, wouldn't it? Man, it's like I could do some party tricks with that, right? And when you want it, not just getting what you want, but actually getting it when you want it. Now, this one's, this one's interesting, um, I think, because um, you've probably heard people say, uh, this one at the end of prayers, um, I say in Jesus' name, amen. All right. Um, there's nothing wrong with doing that. But there's an interesting thing about that sometimes, I think, that we can use in Jesus' name, amen, kind of as a wax seal to kind of get the thing that we want at the end of a prayer. Um, you, you could use that in kind of a magic spell or charm kind of way, you just kind of... If you say it at the end, then it kind of locks in what you've said so that you can get it. <clears throat> the problem with both of these responses, the response of being able to pray to get what we want and then sticking it on there as a magic spell or a charm is, I think, really what we're doing is praying in our own name at that point. This is who we are. This is uh, the things that we want. Um, you know, if you go back in the day, someone's name wasn't just their name, it was who they were, it was their character. It captured who they, they were as a person. It wrapped up what they stood for, what they did, what their purposes were. So praying in Jesus' name involves thinking about who he is, the kinds of things that he does, and what he would likely want to do. 
Does that make sense? It involves thinking about who he is, the kinds of things he does and what he would likely want to do. Now, <clears throat> this might sound heavy to you, but it's not really heavy. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm starting at a biblical starting point. I believe that everything that God does is good. Everything. And that he's always at work around the place. And in every situation, what he wants to do in every situation, I wonder who's with me. It's going to be great. You with me? It's like, I don't know. I don't know what situation it is. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what situation you're in. But you just need to know God's at work. Everything that God does is good. And whatever he wants to do in that situation, it's just going to be great. You can bank on it. Now, I want to just give you a bit of a framework for praying in Jesus' name, but I want to stick this caveat in before I do because the last thing that I want is for you all to be thinking, am I praying the right way? I think you should just pray. Uh, Psalm 62 verse 8 says, pour out your heart to the Lord. Just, just pray, right? Um, shoot things up to him. If there's things on your heart that you'd, that you'd love to see happen, just shoot them up to him. Like, don't get tangled into knots about making sure that you're praying in Jesus' name or that you've got to flip out some PowerPoint slide that Peter put up on Sunday. It's like, just talk to him, right? That's where we want to start. For me, I don't... The next way that I'm going to show you about praying in Jesus' name is reflective of the way that I do it. And I don't do it all the time this way, right? There's lots of times I just pray and I actually don't go through this process. But there are some times where I just want to slow down and go through this process a bit. Everyone with me? It's kind of like you can pray anything to him whenever you want, however you want, right? But it's kind of like if you want a guaranteed yes, then it's probably going to be good to slow down a little bit sometimes and, and, and think and pray a little bit about how you're praying. Um, here's, here's a five-step thing that, that I roughly maps out the way that I do it a bit. You can do it this way, you can do it another way. <clears throat> Here's where I start. Whatever God wants to do will be very good. <laughs> right? And that's not a heavy thing. That's like I believe that at the core of my being, that whatever he wants to do is going to be really good. And, and you, you have to start there. The second thing um, that, that you need to think about, uh, that I think about, is, well, what's in front of me? What's the situation that is actually in front of me? And then this is kind of a bit of a meditating, kind of chewing over kind of thing. And then I go to, well, who, who is God as a person? In this particular situation, what kind of thing, based on who I know him to be as a person, what kind of thing would he be wanting to do in this situation? And sometimes um, when I'm praying, I even ask God to help me to know how to pray. So like, can you... I don't, I don't know how to pray here. Can you ask the Spirit to help me to know how to pray? And then pray for what you think you would want to do in that situation. So not the only way to do it. Um, but I think this is a little bit of what it means to pray in Jesus' name. And Jesus is very, very clear if you pray in his name, expect to hear yes. 
expect to hear yes. Um, and this is the message of hope um, for us. And it's not just in this last point here about expecting to hear yes. It's, a, it's the point of the whole three points today. Um, don't, don't worry about the father being distant or cranky. Uh, he's the same as Jesus. You're going to do greater things by the Spirit. So get amongst it. Uh, and expect God to say yes to your prayers. 